Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Ellie Jacobs, sailing alone this week as Frank Spring is off on the continent. Thank you for your patience as we took the week off to find the dock again. I'd like to thank everybody for their comments, both positive and negative, and urge, besiege, beg, plead you to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in persistent, as in we will be persistent in reminding you to subscribe and leave us a rating. Please do so. Uh, lots going on in the last two weeks. I mean, I can remember all the way back to Jeff Flake's floor speech, which I'm not going to dwell on too much, mostly because I'm just recording this today so that we can stay on Casper mattresses radar. Uh, plus we've actually been pretty active on the old Twitter. Hopefully everybody is following us there. Um, there's a few things that I do want to touch on. The first is uh, everybody should take the time to watch um, PBS's Frontline from this Sunday night. It was about, uh, it's called P- Putin's Revenge, and it's about the hacking. And most importantly, it really focuses on the White House response or the lack of response from the administration. Uh, we had talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, months ago now, uh, when Frank and I recorded from the Truman Conference, uh, which was a few days after the Washington Post, very lengthy uh, article going through what the Obama administration did and did not do. Uh, Frontline revisits some of that, obviously has interviews with several of the major players, uh, CIA director, director of Homeland Security, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, the director of national intelligence, um, several Obama aides. Uh, It's very worthwhile watching. And once again, we see that um, McConnell really put the end to a much more forceful, important statement coming out. Um, when they went to brief the Gang of Eight. And uh, that that's part one of, uh, you know, McConnell should really be strung up about that specific issue. Um, but also uh, the detail they go into in terms of the timing of the release of Podesta's emails, um, which was in response to the release of the um, uh, 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 Hollywood Reporter tape, uh, Hollywood Reporter, uh, the Billy Bush tape, which was uh, came right on the heels of the release of the statement from the administration that the the hack had been uh, uh, led by Russia. Um, again, I really strongly suggest that you check out this uh, frontline piece. It was this past Sunday night or Tuesday night, whichever night they they broadcast, um, and, and it really kind of just it does a good way of putting in perspective what really happened and very very importantly how. Um, Nothing has changed to prevent it from happening again. In fact, uh, with the way the president is continuing to act in, in, the, in the White House and the way the Congress is um, stymieing the investigations and uh, um, there has been no legislation brought up, there's been no uh, presidential directives that we know of, uh, is really um, a crime at this point. And uh, a lot more needs to be done very, very quickly. Um, and also, uh, Obama's response, uh, as again, you can go back and listen to the, to the, to the taking ship uh, from a couple months ago, um, Frank and I, I think, uh, did a pretty good job of properly castigating the Obama administration's response or lack thereof. Um, all right, so that's one thing, but that brings me into the second thing I wanted to talk about, which is the uh, Mueller investigation. Um, not in terms of the indictments that were handed down on Monday or the um, um, reality that this um, uh quote-unquote low-level foreign policy aide, which who apparently was not that low-level as he briefed the uh, then-candidate uh, as well as uh, his head of national security um, on his trips and conversations with the Russians. 
um, his pleading guilty. Um, nor are we going to re- revisit the idea that Carter Page is still out there talking and no one's preventing him from doing it, and it's kind of hilarious to watch a guy just continue to dig his own grave. Uh, the only assumption can be is that he's already pleaded guilty, so he feels free to talk about things. Um, or he's just so broke that he thinks that going to prison will be um, a, a better way of living. Uh, but I, the way I do want to talk about it is in terms of this idea of sort of being the paradox of being a Republican in today's Republican Party, um, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, Frank and I a couple times have tried writing um, an op-ed sort of along the lines of that the Never Trump movement is uh, empty, uh, meaning that there's a lot of people, uh, people who ordinarily we all disagree with. Um, you know, Mike Breen, uh, the, the uh, president of the Truman, Truman National Security Project, said this on uh, another podcast earlier in the week, that he listens to a lot of uh, pod, uh, other people's podcasts and um, reads a lot from the other side of the aisle now. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating that people that he so vehemently disagreed with, and Frank and I feel the exact same way, people that we vehemently disagree with. I mean, just we can keep going back to Bill Crystal because he's just a man who's never been right about anything, and yet he seems to be somebody that we're all paying a lot of attention to. Um, but it is all just empty rhetoric because it all comes down to can they uh, destroy uh, Obamacare and can they cut taxes and they can, can, they, can, can they deregulate? And if they can do that... All these Republicans that complain and say tor- terrible things aren't going to do anything to actually prevent this man that they all also in the same breath say is a threat to the to the republic uh, from continuing to be president. Uh, Flake uh, is just a great example. Um, it was a very powerful floor speech, and he should be given credit for it. Uh, but the reality is, is that he was going to lose his primary. Uh, he's already been um, uh, sort of destroyed in his home state, uh, both because of the immigration deal that he cut as part of the Gang of Eight and... Uh, his release of the conscience of a conservative, his uh, uh, kind of polemic. Um, but again, the speech was very powerful, um, and it was great for someone to do that from the Senate floor. But where was the action on the back end of it? Uh, did he propose any legislation? Did he even sign on to the bill that's been floating around uh, to uh, protect Mueller from being fired from the president? No, he hasn't done any of that. In fact, he continues to vote in line with the president on most things, and we can cont- we can assume that he will likely vote for the tax cut. I mean, there's things that can change, um, and he will likely vote for all of Trump's uh, judicial nominees. So the emptiness of the Never Trump movement kind of continues uh, in the fact that there are things that these people can do, contrary to some uh, some uh, Republicans' beliefs that you know they can say all they want, but in the end they're going to vote with the president, which is true. But they they can actually do things to protect the Mueller investigation, to slow the president down, to ensure that he's actually uh, doing things properly. I mean, the fact that we found out recently that the Russia sanctions bill that uh, the president uh, very begrudgingly um, signed a few weeks ago after it was passed with just massive, massive majorities in both in both houses, um, they hadn't actually been implementing the sanctions yet. Uh, and on top of that, the, the State Department cut the sanctions department. Um, so these are just, you know, some of the things. But I, I bring this all up in this context of sort of the paradox of being a Republican in um, today's world. And, you know, a, a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that Republicans are stuck sort of between a rock and a hard place where some 80 percent of the base of the Republican Party base uh, still supports the president. Um, I think the numbers I just looked at were... Um, 
Uh, he's a historically unpopular president overall, about 38%. Um, 81% of Republicans support him, 34% of independents support him, uh, which kind of astounded me. Um, to give you an idea of where that ranks to uh, President George W. Bush, um, who right before leaving office had a historically low 22% approval, um, 57% of the GOP supported him, 18% of independents, and only 6% of Democrats um, so right now, Trump is polling better with the base than George W. Bush was at the end of his term. Um, and again, we see the only people speaking out or the only people retiring or resigning are people who just they don't want to they don't want to run another election because they're scared of this base or scared of the 80 percent, um, which is kind of astounding, because if you look at the numbers all along, Trump, you know, was never particularly popular. Yeah, he won the primaries, but that's because it was a very contested field. And you really, he really never peaked over you know more than 40 percent in any given primary. Um, but what he was able to do was, um, he was able to just people be, you know, get ecstatic with the latest numbers of his unpopularity. You know, he pushes it off on the, on the fake news and the fake media and the fake polls. And then he goes on Fox and continues to just talk to the base. And, you know, you'd think that in, in, a situation where you have a historically unpopular president who's, you know, so scandal ridden. Um, the new cover of Newsweek uh, is snakes on a plane, and it talks about a lot of the stuff going on in this administration. Yet, there hasn't been a Republican who's really even hinted at the impeachment word. There hasn't been a Republican who's even moderately suggested that the cabinet look at the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Uh, there's a great article in BuzzFeed uh, earlier this week that really goes through the history of how the 25th Amendment came to be made and what it actually does and does not do. And it's, a, it's very worthwhile reading before people get all high and mighty about wanting to, 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 to go, uh, go with the 25th Amendment to get rid of Donald Trump. Um, you know, the, historic, the stock market is high. Unemployment is low. There's a potential for a tax cut that will impact some people. Uh, Trump's popularity will likely only go up if that happens. Um, but here's the real thing. And this is the emptiness of the Never Trump movement and also the paradox of being a Republican in today's day and age, um, where a lot of us feared that the Constitution was um, under threat by a Trump presidency, and uh, it certainly remains to be under threat. Uh, we just saw in his uh, press conferences, uh, his, his meetings with the media over the last couple of days talking about how he wants to um, get involved in the judiciary, uh, actually, you know, run the FBI essentially is what it sounds like. Um, the Constitution is doing all the things that it's supposed to do. The trouble is, is that Congress is not. Um, and Congress is not because they still think they still just want to deregulate and cut taxes. And if this tax cut goes through, um, which uh, people have different opinions on this, um, I'm not giving it uh, a better than three and five chance of getting through the House and significantly less than that um, getting through the Senate. Um, I think there's some, still some really big pieces of it that are missing. Um, but until, uh, until the, the uh, Republicans see that uh, Donald Trump is detrimental to their plans of deregulation and uh, cutting taxes, they're going to stick with him because, again, 80% of the base is still supporting him. Um, you know, a couple other things that I just want to um, touch on. Well, we'll talk about the taxes for a second. I really just want to pull about one thing about in, in the tax cut, and I've mentioned this before, um, and it's carried interest. Carried interest, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I did a very poor job of explaining it last time uh, we brought it up, carried interest is, is um, it's a way that uh, certain LLPs, particularly hedge funds and private equity funds, uh, pay taxes. 
basically you and I pay taxes on our income. And if we trade any stocks or anything like that, we get charged on uh, the, the capital gains that we make. If we sell it for profit, we get a capital gain. If we sell it for loss, we get a capital loss. And those sort of those numbers go against each other. Um, your income tax is obviously significantly higher than your uh, than your capital gains tax. You know, let's use the numbers: thirty five percent on income tax, fifteen percent on on capital gains tax. Those aren't the exact numbers, but we'll just use those because they're easy for me to remember. Let's take your average hedge fund. Your average hedge fund works on a two and twenty system. So, in other words, they take twenty percent of the profits they make, and they take a two percent management fee, which means on um, you know, let's say a uh, hundred thousand dollars that they're investing, they make twenty thousand dollars. They get twenty percent of that twenty thousand dollars, plus they get two thousand dollars at the start. So, what that means is that the two percent, the much significantly smaller amount of their income, they pay an income tax on. So they're paying the higher rate on that. All the rest of it, they're paying the capital gains rate, which is significantly lower. And again, these hedge funds and private equity funds, the vast majority of their income, again, 20 and 2, is coming from these capital gains taxes. So these people are essentially skirting the system. Uh, this, has been, this was brought up initially in uh, some bills that, uh, that the Democratic House brought up and the Democratic Senate brought up in uh, the fall of 07. Uh, they didn't pass then. It was something that President Obama campaigned on doing. Uh, it didn't happen then, something that he campaigned on again in 12, didn't happen then. And Bush, both Trump and Clinton campaigned on getting rid of this loophole um, when they campaigned in the 2016 campaign, and yet this still exists in the current tax bill. Uh, it's really astounding. Um, you know, the pushback is partially that all these pension funds and uh, public funds and universities that are invested in hedge funds and private equity funds as a way to diversify their endowments, uh, that they that there will be a um, um, uh, unintended consequence that they will be damaged uh, by changing that the way that they're taxed. I don't really buy that. Um, I never really have. Uh, the numbers don't necessarily support it. And uh, far more importantly, um, there's fair is fair. And that's one of the big problems with the tax system. Um, you know, not to, not to spend a whole ton of time on taxes still, but I, I want to touch on just a couple other, uh, one other thing on this. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, Frank and I have touched on this a couple times. Um, hopefully he'll be back. Uh, he'll, he will be back in, in, uh, um, uh, next week. Um, and we will be, uh, together again aboard, uh, the good blank revenge. Um, we don't know whose revenge it is yet. If you have suggestions, please post those on Twitter at, at taking ship. Um, but let's just talk about kind of ideologically where taxes work. So there's one group of Republicans who just want to t cut taxes because they want to get reelected. They want to be popular. Damn the consequences of what happens to the deficit or the national debt or whatever else. That's one group. Um, kind of think like Bush and Reagan running massive spending programs uh, while also simultaneously cutting taxes or Bush, you know, during wartime cutting taxes. That's one group of people. Uh, there's another group of people who slash taxes in the hope of killing the federal government, uh, to quote Grover Norquist, so that he can drown it in a bathtub. Um, this is sort of the Paul Ryan view, and this gets lost a lot because people get really excited by the idea of paying less taxes um, without really recognizing the impact that it's going to have on programs. And this is what Democrats um, often do a bad job of messaging. Um, you know, all, already Democrats are out uh, castigating the, the current, the new tax bill, tax plan, um, going after that, it's a you know giveaway to corporations and high income earners. Well, yes, it is a giveaway to corporations. Um, surprisingly, high income ta high income 
uh, individuals are going to be taxed at the same way that they are now, which is a surprising caveat in this bill that that actually survived. Um, and with the idea that there are a lot of loopholes that are going to be cut, they actually may be pinched uh, significantly. Um, but regardless, the idea is that for every dollar that doesn't come in in taxes, that's some percent, that's some amount of money that's not going out to help people um, or support the government or our national defense. I mean, you cut taxes this much, our national defense is going to be in trouble. Uh, Corey Shockey, um, who's a Republican um, national security expert, teaches at Stanford now. Um, she wrote a piece in foreign policy that's worth checking out, and I'll, I'll throw that up on the on the Taking Ship Twitter feed as well to take a look at. Finally, um, there's a group of people, um, and this sort of combines the first two groups, that still believe in the Laffer Curve. Uh, Frank and I, again, have talked about this before. The Laffer Curve is this sort of quasi-mystical idea by this uh, economists that the suggestion is basically there is a point where you cut taxes enough, people will be spending more money, they'll have more money to spend, corporations will have more money to spend, and therefore you'll actually increase the amount of revenues that you're bringing into the government. Uh, less taxes, more revenues. That's sort of the idea because there'll be more spending. Um, this really hasn't shown itself to ever work. I mean, it's sort of the background for trickle-down economics, or voodoo economics as Reagan called it. Um, it doesn't really work necessarily, um, but that is, that's still sort of the ongoing concept behind Republican tax policy, um, being that they don't necessarily have to cut programs in the long run because it, there'll be more revenue coming into the government. That's part of the idea behind this large corporate tax cut. Um, and obviously, Trump is just lying when he says we're the most taxed country on earth. We are not by an extent, extent of the imagination. Our corporate tax rate is slightly high. Um, uh, I personally support looking for ways to cut that um, as long as it's uh, fair and, uh, you know, doesn't hurt people too much. Um, but, you know, a cut from 35% to 20% seems um, a little too drastic to not directly impact people that could really use that money. Uh, so that's too much that I've talked about uh, taxes. I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to talk too much on this thing because I kind of just feel like a guy sitting in his apartment ranting at a microphone, which is exactly what I'm doing. Um, the uh, last two things I want to mention, um, one is uh, we're running out of time for the Strange King MAGA resolution, um, Frank and I's fail-safe way to get Donald Trump to resign. Uh, Luther Strange uh, will be uh, soon to be a former senator from Alabama, and Angus King uh, need to co-sponsor a resolution, the Made America Great Again resolution, so that it can be called the Strange King MAGA resolution for all eternity and say that Donald Trump has made America great again. Uh, we are convinced that this is the full, foolproof way to get Donald Trump to resign. Uh, he will sign the resolution and immediately resign. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, just because uh, I don't know how we couldn't touch on it, is um, Democrats figuring out new and improved ways to fuck themselves. Uh, this week, um, in addition to a whole lot of other ways, uh, this week the big highlight has been Donna Brazil, who um, was the interim chairman of the, of the Democratic National Par, uh, Party um, following um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's resignation. Um, she had also, uh, she's been a longtime uh, party member and board member. She was the campaign manager for uh, Al Gore's campaign in 2000. Um, she's a CNN contributor, bright woman, you know, uh, obviously uh, remarkably um, 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 important in the Democratic Party and, and experienced. Uh, she, uh, an excerpt from her book that is coming out um, in, the, in the coming weeks, uh, was published in Political Magazine. 
uh, talking, and it's a first-person account of her digging through the Democratic uh, finances. Um, basically, the way the article reads is she discovered that there were, you know, long ago agreements that basically Hillary's campaign was going to run the DNC because it was so broke. You should read the thing in, whole, in, in, in full, um, mostly because uh, you can't fully understand the whole conversation unless you've read the article um, and, and get it. Um, so I only have a couple of comments on, on this piece. Um, a, as opposed to Frank, uh, who has less of an issue with this than I do, I don't see what the problem is with the Democratic National Committee supporting the Democratic candidate as opposed to an independent. Um, Frank and I have a little bit of a disagreement on that, but that's fine. That's one thing that I don't necessarily care about. Two, Bernie still wouldn't have won in the primaries. That's fine. Three, um, what really, um, and I still... Um, I'm kind of desperate for an answer on this one. Um, what led Brazil to do it this week? Uh, what led to, for, to her having this excerpt published this week and having the book come out now? She is way too savvy of an operator to not see that, you know, there would be consequences both intended and not by publishing this. And yet it happened. So I would love to know uh, what her thinking was to do it, to do it now. Um, the other thing, you know, there was a great quote, uh, Charlie Pierce, who um, Frank and I quote occasionally. We like him about 80% of the time. He had a great line in his piece about this, which uh, we just put up on the Twitter feed, um, that the essentially the Democratic primary veered between a coronation and a smug, self-righteous quasi-insurgency that quickly developed a paranoid streak a mile wide. And uh, that's probably the best summary I have seen. Um, the last point I'll make on this is, uh, Senator Warren last night in an interview, I think with CNN, um, agreed that the Democratic, uh, the DNC was, uh, had its thumb on the scale for Hillary. Um, this is uh, um, likely a symbol that she is running. I don't know how much faith I really have that she's going to run, but it is absolutely uh, her decision that she has now planted her flag firmly in the ground in the Bernie base. Um, which is fine for her to do, I suppose. I really don't care. Um, but, you know, just something to keep in mind. All right, with that, like I said, I'm going to try to keep this very short this week because it's just me and my throat's already hurting from talking so much. So thank you for joining me. Uh, please be sure to subscribe and rate, rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at, at @takingship, and that's ship with a P as in prodigy. Depending what uh, my schedule and Frank's schedule ends up looking like over the next few days uh, or weeks, uh, there's a lot going on. Um, we're going to try to do a number of interviews, um, probably can them, um, so that we can kind of just post them up if we're not able to do a full show ourselves. Um, so please be sure to subscribe that you get those. Uh, if you have people that you think we should be interviewing, um, particularly, you know, we're not going to get to interview Barack Obama, but you know, if there are people within the Truman project or other people that you think are particularly and in particularly interesting, please uh, let us know. Uh, we try to respond on the Twitter feed as quickly as possible when people email us. Um, so, uh, you know, with that, we, I'll wrap this up. Uh, since Frank took our only, uh, Mariner's Astrolab with him, uh, we are now just, I am now just floating aimlessly, uh, with no direction at all. And yeah, there's probably an analogy there to a political party, but it also means I shan't be taking ship anywhere exciting this week. Um, never ship alone is what Frank's grandfather has, uh, you know, forewarned us. So with that, I will end this and, uh, just say, uh, take care, everybody. Talk to you soon.